So let's try something from this weekend on, begin on time. And time means 10 o'clock. Okay, the only one that's allowed to come late is the teacher. Okay, now we'll start with uh, some short, I don't know if you call it stories or chsidisha. Chsidisha what? What's the word? Veldlach, that's right. Chsidisha Veldlach. Words. Veldlach. It's like a story or a saying. Okay. And this is about the son of the Magid. The Zlicha Magid. Oh, here we begin again. Who's the Magid? Oh, the Magid is, excuse me, teacher. Right, who was the teacher of? Right, the Alta Rebbe, right, and who was his Rebbe? Who was the Magid, maybe? Right. The Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov. Baal Shem Tov, okay, good. Progress, progress. Okay. We should all cheat. Okay, good. Why did you say it was a chef? Baal, Baal Shem Tov. No, but why did you say it was a chef? Baal Shem Tov. No, no, no. She meant to say short batch something, but it wasn't clear. Baal Shem Tov. No, 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 no. Before that, you said, didn't you say Baal Shem No, she didn't. She didn't say that. It's on take. I'm trying to say Baal Okay. We say Baal Shem Tov. Baal Shem Tov. We don't, we don't. So the abbreviation is Besh, which he didn't know how to say it. So it sounded like oh. Besh. Oh, okay. Besh. Oh, okay. B for Baal, Shit for Shem, and Shem. Oh, okay. Besh. She was sounding it out funny. And that's it. It sounded like Besh. 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 Is that a way of saying it? Besh. Some people say Besh. No. But we don't, we don't say it that way. We say Baal Shem Tov. That's better. It's a holy name and we shouldn't shorten it. I don't know. It's a book that way all the time. Well, maybe, but I, I never heard the Rebbe saying Besh. I've always said Baal Shem Tov. Other people, not by Labash, heard them saying Besh. But Labash never heard Besh. They always say Baal Shem Tov. Okay, now, one thing that you don't have in your chart, and I want to catch you with this one, <laughs> is the name of the son of the Magid, that you don't have there, because he wasn't the Rebbe. The son of the Magid was called Rabavroham Malach, Amalach. Malach means angel. He was called Rabavroham Amalach, Aaron the angel. Why was he called the angel? That's a story by itself, but he was like an exceptionally holy person. He was called the angel. Malach. Malach. Melech. Melech. Okay. Now when Rabbi Avraham Malach was a child, young child, he was playing with uh, another child, hide and seek. Okay. Now, you're not to play hide and seek, right? Yeah. Right, and you still remember that? Yeah, sure. Okay, good. Now, one time when he was playing hide and seek, he came to his father with a complaint against his friend. I hid, and my friend did not search for me. He went somewhere else. You know how that feels. You're hiding for someone, you have a good hiding place, and he never goes to look for you. <laughs> the worst feeling you can get. 
That's what he was, he was crying to his father. When the father, when the market heard that, he also started crying. And he said, that's exactly Hashem's, because Baruch complaint to the Jewish people. I'm hiding from them. The objective is they should, they should search me. And when they search after me, they'll definitely find me. And I make the searching easy. They should be able to find me. But why, etc. You know what the etc. is. Why aren't they looking for me? That's the way the Magid heard a story from his child. He saw it at its source. It wasn't just, you know, oh, he, he thought of a rainstorm. He saw the source of this problem. Because the fact is that the game hide and seek has its origin in a spiritual dimension. And you saw what the problem was. Okay. Another one. Okay, in the time of the decrees of the Tsar in Russia, Nikolai I, so there was a famous chassid, his name was Abdul Parachu. Abdul Parachu was a chassid of the Alter Rebbe, the Mitla Rebbe, and Semachtedek. And he was probably in the history of Chassidus the most famous chassid. He's the only one that's considered half a Rebbe. He was a very holy man, he was a miracle worker, he wrote many books, deep books of Siddur. He, he was an exceptional chassid. So during the, so he was one of the few people that could approach the Tzemach Tzedek. Who was the Tzemach Tzedek? Right. That's the grandson of the Alter Rebbe. The grandson of the Alter Rebbe, Tzemach Tzedek. His name was Menachem Mendel. Grandson of the, of the Alter Rebbe. He was the third Lubavitcher Rebbe. So Hill Palacher was older than the Tzemach Tzedek. He was like from the older Chassidim, and he had like a different way of conversing with the Tzemach Tzedek. When Chassid speaks to the Rebbe, he's always very careful. He was also, but he spoke in a different way. He had more guts to speak to the Tzemach Tzedek than the average Chassid. So Hill once asked the Tzemach Tzedek, how come you don't attempt to, to nullify the decrees of the wicked Tsar Nikolai. Why don't you put him down from his greatness? Why don't you shove him down? That was the question. Can you tell me the question was? Mm -hmm. He was questioning, he was asking the Tzemach Right. What was the question? Why don't you... Uh, Deflate him. <laughs> right, okay. So the Jewish yeah, but, yeah, but what, was the qu what was he supposed to do? According to the question, what did he want from this question? What kind of power? Not his powers. Yeah, spiritual powers. Spiritual powers, okay. So the Tzedek answered, he said that the upper sal, every nation down here below has a sal, like an angel upstairs, a minister upstairs. So the Tzedek answered that the sal, the minister upstairs in heaven, of Russia right now, of, of the Tsar, is very strong and we can't nullify him. We can't uh, get rid of him. So Sarapil asked, but the Alta Rebbe, I'm not going to ask who the Alta Rebbe was. <laughs> no. Grandfather. Grandfather. But the Alta Rebbe, he got rid of the Tsar Paul, Tsar Paul, and he got rid of Napoleon. So like, 
Napoleon. Well, that's a whole story by itself. <laughs> what did Napoleon have to do with it? Okay, that's a story by itself. You heard it. Napoleon? We heard. Yeah. Okay, maybe I'll mention this. Let's go on. So, so who was asking that your grandfather, he, he managed to deal with these, these world powers. So Tzemach stood up from his chair and he said, what are you comparing me to my grandfather? My grandfather, the Alter Rebbe, upstairs, they didn't do anything without the Alter Rebbe's consent. And he got involved in everything. And they never dismissed his his uh, request. request. What are you comparing me to the Alder Rebbe? So Bill said that what happens to the forefathers is a sin as a sum <laughs> for the children. With the strength of the grandfather of the Alter Rebbe, you'll also be able to do something. So Tzemach Tzedek went to the side, he was quiet, and Rabbil finished off saying there's going to be something here. We call this comic, something's going to happen. Uh-huh. And it's known that that's when the Tsar Nikolai, that's when he died. Okay, getting to Napoleon, the story of Napoleon, which wasn't on our agenda today. The story was like this, that Napoleon attacked Russia. Napoleon was for freedom, for, demo- for some sort of democracy religious freedom and in Russia the Tsar of Russia they were bad for the Jewish people they were there were many decrees against the Jews and Napoleon represented liberation now when Napoleon attacked Russia and he was winning the war initially <coughs> so amongst the tzaddikim amongst the holy the holy people especially the students of, of the Balshent of the Magid this was in the time of Al-Tarabim. So there were, like, there were different factions, there were different opinions. Some felt that we should pray for the victory of Napoleon. If Napoleon wins, it's going to be better for the Jews. The Alter felt the opposite. He said that we should pray that the Russians should win, the Tsar should win. And he explained it that if Napoleon wins, it's going to be good for the Jews physically, but it's going to be bad for the Jews spiritually. So we have to pray for, for, the, for the Tsar that the Tsar should win the war. Uh, which meant that wherever Napoleon took over, there was uh, no oppression against the Jews. At least initially there was no oppression. But the religious observance just went down the drain. That's when the reform movement became stronger in the places that he occupied. And it was bad for... Huh? It, was, it, it originated around then. That's when it began. So the Altarebbe was against Napoleon. Now the Tzadikim had like a certain disagreement. Each one prayed for the other side. And uh, Napoleon knew that Altarebbe was against him. The Altarebbe had his chassidim working for the Russians. Altarebbe had a famous chassid of Moshe, Meislish. He was a spy for the Russians. He somehow infiltrated the Russian... Uh, army and uh, they, they used the Moshe knew a lot of languages so they used him the French used him for different things for translations and he gave the information to the Russians 
and the French knew that Altarebo was against was against them. So when the French attacked Russia, Altarebo ran away. He took his family and they ran away. When he ran away, he ran with a lot of wagons, and uh, he was like 69, he was like seven years old. He was an old man then, he was weak. And eventually, from this whole thing, he passed away from all this. It was like a very aggravating uh, time. So he ran away, they said a story that uh, after going for a while, Altrebe said, stop. Whether he forget, he forgot his kalosh, he forgot his, his, uh, his uh, home shoes. Galoshes? Galoshes, right. So they, they had to go back together. So what was the big commotion? What's the big thing of having some galoshes? Altrebe didn't want that Napoleon should have any of his possessions. Mm. And furthermore, Altrebe said that they should burn his house. Napoleon was friendly to the Jews, and the big picture for the Rebbe was he knew that that would be bad for the Jews spiritually. How could he hate Napoleon so personally? Because Napole Napoleon represented, he represented evil. He did? Yes, because wherever he took over, there was, uh, th there was, no, there was no religion, okay? Religion went down the drain. So he represented evil. That's what he represented. And the Russians weren't tzaddikim. They weren't saints. But in this field, it was better in for the godly plan of creation that the French should lose. Now, okay, so, so, so this was like a feud, not just between the Russians and the French, it was also between tzaddikim. They had different opinions, they had different approaches. Each one was praying for what they felt would be the right thing. Now, they had some feeling, some spiritual feeling with Sadiqin that the decision who would win the war would be determined on Rosh Hashanah of that year. Which meant whichever Tzaddik would blow the shoifah first earlier, his side would win. Or if Al-Tadeh would blow the shoifah first, the Russians would win. The other Tzaddikin would blow the shoifah first, and the Poland would win. And it was in the hands of Tzaddikin who would win. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the Polish tzaddikim, they knew that Al-Tarebbe prays late. You know, Lubavitch, they have a lot of preparations and they pray. So, uh, they weren't so worried about blowing the shaver first. They knew they could outdo the Al-Tarebbe easily. Because they would start their normal prayer, they would start maybe a little bit earlier, and they would pray first. What happened that year was Al-Tarebbe did something which never is done. He first blew the shaver and then he went to pray. So he blew the shaver first, and the Russians won. Now the Tzemach Tzedek was traveling with Alter Rebbe, and when the Napoleon was having his initial successes, so Tzemach Tzedek approached Alter Rebbe and he said, didn't you promise us that the Russians would win? And it was apparent that the Russians were losing. They were getting close to Moscow, and they were losing. So Tzemach Tzedek said, didn't you say that, that the Russians were going to win? Al-Trebbe told Tzemach Tzedek they're going to win. They'll, when they'll get to the gates of Moscow, they'll have their defeat. Tzemach Tzedek writes about that. Tzemach Tzedek said that Al-Trebbe said things that were going to happen in that period to, to, the, to the point of a needle. Mm -hmm. He said everything that's going to happen. But it was a long journey and eventually Al-Trebbe passed away from this, whole, uh, from this whole story. Okay, so that was the story that, 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 that the Rabhil said about the Al-Trebbe and Al-Tarebbe wanted, he took care of Napoleon also. He managed Napoleon and Paul, so why don't you take care of, of Nikolai?
Okay. So was it better for them in, in Russia at that time? It was better for religion, it was better for religion that the Russians should win at that time. Yeah, That's all. And the Russians won. So religion survived. Right, but we were there. They were in Germany and France. They didn't make. They didn't go into Russia that much. In Russia, they were stopped by the by the Chassidim. But if Napoleon would have won, they would have eradicated most of religion. Chassidim. So it was important at that point. It was essential that the Russians should win. Okay, let's get to Chumash now. Let's. Uh, where are we up to? This goes back to last year. <laughs> Aren't we starting all over again? <laughs> starting all over. This is the first week in a long time that we're a week ahead. We're a week ahead this year, right now. Next week we'll be in time. Because we're learning Naya and, and in the shoulder after Bereshit. So we're one week ahead. Okay, we're in the beginning of Naya. We're uh, the first verse. First verse of Naya. We already did it, but we're going to go more into it. The first verse of Nayak. Chapter 6, verse 9. Chapter 6, verse 9. Page 57. Okay, I'll show you where it is. No. Like Rabbi Kapinski. Evelyn, where have I been? I'll show you. Here, here's what it's called. It's chapter 6, verse 9. Until the communists took over, it, it, they did have problems. They had major problems, but uh, they managed. More, by and large, they managed. When the communists took over, that, that was a tragedy. But as long as the Tsar was there, religion thrived in Russia, despite all the... Well, it, it, there were many problems. Yeah. Yeah, there were, there were many problems. There were many problems, but the fact is religion thrived at that point, despite the problems. Okay. Now, the first verse of Nayak, it says, Ayla told us, Nayak, these are the. Anyone help me out? Generations, Generations of Nayak. Nayak was a tzaddik, plus, what else was he? Besides a tzaddik, what else was he? He was tummy, right, tummy. He was whole, complete. Okay, and we spoke last year about the significance of being tummy, complete. He was a tzaddik and he was tummy. And when was he a tzaddik and tummy? In his generations. And he followed, what's the last part of the Pasuk? He followed God. <laughs> he followed God, okay. Now, there's one word in this Pasuk. In describing the fact that he was a tzaddik and tamim, the Torah adds, when was he a tzaddik? In his generations, which is an extra word. What would be wrong if the Torah would delete this word? The Torah would just say he was a tzaddik. He was complete, he was tamim, finished, period. The Torah doesn't say that. The Torah says, you know, he was a tzaddik, true. He was a tamim, true. But, but when was he a tzaddik? In his generations. 
Now what's the significance of adding this word in his generation? So Rashi presents two opposing viewpoints from the rabbis. The rabbis have two opposite approaches to understanding the Reisah. Some say the Torah is attempting to enhance the praise of Naya. And this is based on the law of Chaimah. So the Chaimah says that if Noah was ecstatic in his generation, and his generation were, were a generation of the Shoyim, evil people, if he was ecstatic then, how much more so would he be at Santik if he would have been in the generation of Avraham? So the Torah is trying to praise him. Look, in his generation he was at Santik. You know what that means? What would happen if he would be in a different generation? He would surely be at Santik. That's one approach. So why did the Torah add the word Bedeiraisah? To enhance the praise of Noah. Even when they were Shayim, evil people, he's still at Santik. Of course he would be at Santik in a normal generation. That's one approach. There's an opposing opinion. Opposing opinion says, no, the Afghan race. Something, something is wrong with Noyach He was a tzaddik in proportion to his generation. But if you would have put him in the generation of Avraham, what would he be worth? Nothing. Nothing. So we have two conflicting views of why the Torah had a word with Eroisah. Was the Torah trying to enhance the praise? Was the Torah being derogatory? Two opinions. Now, the Rebbe asked a question of this. The Rebbe has a problem with one of these opinions. Guess, guess which opinion the Rebbe is going to attack? The contrary. Right, right, the negative one. Right, negative one. Right. The Rebbe says, what kind of neg- negativity are we having over here? You have two choices. You might as well praise Noyach. Why do you have to go to the other way? And in fact, it's not just a philosophical approach. There's a mission in Pirkei Avis, in the saying of our fathers, where the Mishnah says, have You have to always find the merit of every person. It's an obligation. It's brought down in Jewish law. When you have a choice, when someone did something, and you're convinced it's bad, but you have two choices, you could find some merit, far-fetched, or the opposite, you're supposed to find merit. So this rabbi, these rabbis who seem to be derogatory, they seem to be in conflict with the ruling of the Mishnah. You should always judge a person favorably. And by the way, some say this is a Torah mitzvah to judge people favorably. Okay. Now, a similar question from a different angle. The Rebbe quotes a Zohar. A Zohar. Who's the author of the Zohar? It's not on your list. This, this goes back 2,000 years ago. Right. This is Rav Shimon Vayichol, who's, who's buried in Moran. And we have one day a year where we celebrate his day, which is Lag Okay, Lag that's when you make those flames, those fires, those to- that's all Rashbir, Rav Shimon He's the author of the Zohar. Now in the Zohar, there's a dispute about Noyach compared to, to Moshe Rabbeinu, to Moses. Uh, we find something similar and something different between these two. Both of them lived in a generation where people sinned. What was the approach of Moses? Whenever the Jews sinned and God wanted to punish the Jews, 
That's right. Moses pleaded to God. When it came to Nayach, he didn't plead to God. Blood, blood. Make, make an ark, make an ark, no problem. So Moses pleaded to God to save the generation, and Nayach did not. So the Zohar says like this, two opinions. Rabbi Yehuda says, Rabbi Yehuda, he's a, a sage of the Mishnah. Rabbi Yehuda says, you know why Noach didn't pray to save the generation? You know why? Because he couldn't pray. He didn't have the advantage of Moses. Now let's see, what was the advantage that Moses had? When Moses prayed to save the Jewish people time and again, he had a tactic. What was his tactic? You know, the Jews sinned, they deserve punishment, and Moses starts telling God, oh, please don't punish me. No, that's not prayer. What do you mean, why should I punish them? They sin. So Moses had a tactic that, let's use this, this word, that caught God. Okay. What was his tactic? Tact- huh? No, 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 no. That's too, that's, that's what I'm talking about. No. His tactic was the chus of us, the merit of our forefathers. Remember Abraham, Isaac, you know, he kept on saying that. He kept on saying, remember Isaac, Abraham, Messenger, remember what the promise to them, remember how holy they are. So in their merit, say the Jewish people. And by the way, we use the same tactic on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We still do it. Right. And, and, and every day we do it, right. And every day. That's right. When we begin our prayers, we, we mention Abraham, Isaac, because this is a strength, this is ammunition that we have that's powerful. And that has that affects God. When we tell God, listen, Abraham and Jacob, okay, he, he changes his direction. That was what Moses did. Moses he prayed to God after the golden calf, after the spies, after all these sins. <coughs> what did he tell God? Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Zechus Avos. Noah didn't have that ammunition for obvious reasons. Okay, Noah didn't have that. It was before that. So Noah had nothing to say. He had nothing to say. He didn't pray. So that's the opinion. Whose opinion is this? Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda's opinion is, why didn't Noah pray? He couldn't pray. He didn't have the merit of the forefathers. So Yehuda's actually saying, don't blame Noah. Ah, he's terrible, he didn't pray. Don't blame him. He couldn't pray. Moses could pray, he did pray. That's one opinion. Let's leave questions for later. But write down the questions. Let's forget them. Okay. Uh, the other opinion is Rabbi Yitzchak. Rabbi Yitzchak. Okay. Rabbi Yitzchak says, no, I'm sorry. He still should have prayed for them. He still should have prayed for the generation. That's Rabbi Yitzchak. Okay. So again, Rabbi Yehuda says, why did Enoch pray? Not his fault. He didn't have what to say. That's Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yitzchak says, it's his fault. He should have prayed. Two opinions. Dispute. Okay. That's, that's what the Zohar says. Now there's a comment on the Zohar <coughs> by the father of the Rebbe. What was the name of the father of the Rebbe? It's not on your chart. Yes, sir. His name is? Yes, uh, What's your grandson? Uh, Levi Yitzchak. Levi Yitzchak. Okay. And by the way, Levi Yitzchak, the father of the Rebbe, was named after another Levi Yitzchak, who's a contemporary of the Alter Rebbe. It was called Levi Yitzchak and Baldichev, whose yacht site was, I think, yesterday or today, his yacht site, the day he passed away. Okay, so Levi Yitzchak, the Rebbe's father, he was known for being a genius in the revealed part of the Torah and in the secrets of the Torah, in the Zohar. 
that was Bali. He was a genius in both. He was an exceptional genius in both. He was a rabbi of a city. Now, he was eventually imprisoned and, and exiled by the communists because of his big sins, the sins of being a rabbi and teaching Torah. That was a big sin, and he was eventually exiled, and he died in exile. And uh, when you look at the picture, uh, uh, there are two pictures we have of him. One picture is the beginning of his exile, and then you see him five years later, and you can't tell that it's the same person. You see what happened five years of imprisonment, and it's a different person. When he looked in the beginning, he looked like a remarkable face. Five years later, you could see he was shattered. He was, it was a terrible ordeal he went through. Okay, now when Levi Yitzchak, when Levi's father, when he was imprisoned, when he was exiled, his wife, what was the name of his wife? Debson Khanna. Debson Khanna went to Mesiris Nefesh to help her husband. She did everything she could help her husband. The biggest help was to get him ink. Because Levi Yitzchak hardly had any books. And he had to write. He didn't have students there. So he had to write. You know, for him to survive, he had to write. So there was, there was no ink. It was probably legal also. So she took plants and she made, uh, she made ink herself by mixing plants with water. And she made him a feather, a pen, and he wrote. So we have his writings on the Zohar. He had like a couple of books of the Zohar in Tanya. And he had his notes on the side. He had his notes. He wrote it. And uh, it was in Russia for many years. In around 1970, they smuggled it out of Russia. They smuggled out the books with his writings. Then they printed it. And what the Rebbe did was every Fabrengen he had, he would let his, his father say for He would quote a part, he would analyze, he would ask some questions, he would give answers, and he would explain it. That's what the Rebbe did every year, starting from then. Every time there was a Fabrengen, he would always speak about his father's writings. Okay, so here, the Rebbe's father writes about the Zohar. He says like this. This is like uh, the Rebbe's style of thinking, his father's style and the Rebbe's style of thinking. Not the way we think. The way we think is like this. When someone makes a statement, we never stop to analyze, is there an intrinsic connection between the author of the statement and the statement itself? Well, let's go a step further. The author has a name between the name of the author and the statement of the author. We just never think about these things. What's the difference? Who said what? What's the difference? But the Rebbe's father, and the Rebbe also did that a lot, the author's name represents the essence, and the statement represents his essence. Each statement of an author has to do with his essence. So therefore, the Blavik, Blavik Yitzchak, Blavik's father says, Let's look at the two statements and the author of the statement. <laughs> but let's see if we can remember. What was Rabbi Yehuda's opinion? Rabbi Yehuda's opinion was? Negative. No. Well, it wasn't his fault. It wasn't his fault. Right. That was Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yitzchak said? What did Rabbi Yitzchak say? It was his fault. He should have, he should have prayed nevertheless. Two opinions. So Rabbi Yehuda, why was Rabbi Yehuda the one that found merit? Why was Rabbi Yitzchak that went the other direction? Rabbi Yitzchak says like this, Rabbi Yehuda, according to Kabbalah, Yehuda has to do with chesed, kindness. That's Yehuda. Yehuda has the word praise, praise and kindness. 
when the Torah says Yehuda was one of the twelve tribes, one of the twelve children of Jacob. Why was he called Yehuda? Apam Oides Hashemal, praise God. Yehuda has to praise, that's kindness. So Rabbi Yehuda, who represents kindness, he finds praise in Noach, it wasn't his fault, he couldn't praise. Yitzchak represents Gvura, severity. Like we know Avraham is, Abraham is kindness, and Isaac is, Yitzchak is Isaac. Isaac is Gvura, severity, judgment. So Yitzchak represents Gvura, so he says, no, Noach was no good, he should have, he should have nevertheless prayed for his generation. That's what the Rebbe's father says. He shows the link between the name of the author, the author, and the statement. And we find it time and again in the Blavik's teachings, and we find the same thing in the Rebbe's teachings also. The Rebbe will, will never be satisfied with explaining the comment, the statement. He'll say, okay, but what about the name? That was, that's like the additional stress which the Rebbe very often added. Okay. So here the Rebbe asked the same question he asked before. Same exact question. What's the question? Why bring negativity? And the Rebbe doesn't say, doesn't accept, well, so what? Rabbi Yitzchak was Gvula, right? He was Gvula, severity. That doesn't answer the question, because every Jew has to find merit in other people, whether your tendency is severity or kind. It makes no difference. You have to find the merit of every Jew. So how could Rabbi Yitzchak be so, so harsh on Noyach? That's the Rebbe's question. So you have a similar question on what Rashi says, when the Pasuk says, in his generation he was a Tzadik, some say, oh, but he would have been nothing in a different generation. Why and Why discuss negativity? The same thing is about Rabbi Yitzchak. Why discuss negativity? Why don't we pray? It's the same question. Okay, now, the Rebbe answers this question, I would break it up into two steps. One is like more a simple point, then the Rebbe gets into a certain a certain kvetch, a certain style which is unique to the Rebbe. It's a remarkable concept which doesn't say anywhere such a concept. The Rebbe's unique, unique invention. The f- the, let's get first to the simple point. Right, that, that, yeah. Right, right. But this is going to be not a simple point. This is going to be a new, po- a new approach to understanding things which I, I didn't see anywhere else. And Rebbe uses this several times. It's, it's a remarkable problem. Let's get first to the simple. Simple thing is like this. The Talmud tells us that the Torah will add additional words not to say a, an impure word. For example, the Torah says, that will not be pure. Instead of saying in one word, impure. The Torah says, that will not be pure. So the Talmud says, why does the Torah at several occasions, add additional words, that will not be pure. So the Talmud answers that, t- that the Torah is teaching us a lesson, a lesson of language, of how to talk. We have to talk in a positive way. We have to talk in a positive way, and the Torah teaches us that by adding additional words. And by the way, the Rebbe was always super careful in his language. Super careful. The Rebbe almost never said the words death, in Hebrew even, in Yiddish. What he said was hepachachayim, the opposite of life. Mm-hmm. The Rebbe hardly ever said the word tamay, impure, he would say not, not pure. And likewise, even the word sin, even the word sin, you hardly heard the Rebbe say that. The, Rebbe, the opposite of a mitzvah, not such a good thing, 
Lev was super careful in his language when you look. Huh? Lev kept on looking at, you know, the, if, you, if you look at the sikhs, if you listen to the tapes, Lev was super careful in language. And it's based on this Talmudic principle, that you have to be careful how you talk. So Lev asked a question. The fact is, after all is said and done, if you open up a Torah, you will find the words Tame impure time and again in the Torah. You will find that word. So what's the Talmud saying? The Torah is so careful not to say those words. It's not true. The Torah keeps on saying the words Tame impure. The Talmud says this? The no, the Lev is asking that. The Lev is asking is attacking the Talmud. The Talmud says, the Talmud says that we Torah. find the Torah adds additional words. Not to use negative words. That's what the teaches in the lesson. Oh, okay. And the Talmud quotes certain places where the Torah says that. No, that's the Talmud. Comes the level of the question against the Talmud, on the Talmud, but the fact is the Torah does say the words Tame, Time, and again, impure. So, so what's the Talmud talking about? That's the level of the question on the Talmud. And based on this question, the level says a rule. The rule is that when you deal with law, you have to be blunt. You have to say tummy, impure effect. In fact, what the ruling is, don't play games. When it comes to direction in life, in law, you have to be blunt. You can't beat around the bush. Those times when the Torah beats around the bush and says not pure, that wasn't the law. That was a story. It's a story that if something happens which is not pure or something, if it's a story, you could add additional words to teach us a lesson, a lesson in speech. But when it comes to law, when you have to say a law, kosher, not kosher, pure, impure, you don't beat around the bush, you get blunt. Kosher, yes. Not kosher, no. Tame, tame, impure. That's what the Rebbe said. Direction, you have to be blunt. Why? It's, it's obvious why. Because whenever you have instructions, you have to try your utmost not to confuse people. You're going to beat around the bush, you're going to confuse people. Instructions have to be black and white. When you want to speak about concepts, you could speak in, in, in wishy-washy language. You could speak in a very colorful way, in a very poetic way. But don't be poetic when it comes to instructions in law. When it comes to that, you have to be clear, 100% clear. Okay. Then the level goes a step further. That from this, we could understand why some rabbis in Rashi, that we learned, some rabbis interpret the verse in a derogatory way. That's going to answer the question now. Because the Torah is giving us a message. The Torah is giving us a lesson. And for the sake of a lesson, the Torah is ready to say words which are not pure. The Torah is ready to say the word impure. The Torah is ready to interpret something in a derogatory way in order to give us a lesson. Which means, Noah, as we go along learning about Noah, will notice that he wasn't perfect. He was imperfect. We're going to see that Noah messed up several times. He wasn't the saint that, that's, that you like to look up to. This is it. This is him. No, he wasn't that way. Even though the Torah says he was a tzaddik, Yes, he was a tzaddik. He was a tamim. What does tamim mean? Complete. He was whole, right? He had these advantages. But listen, after all is said and done, he wasn't. He wasn't 100%. He messed up. Okay. Now, 
care we could get into a, into a problem. If the Torah describes Noah as being a tzaddik and a tamim, then I want to emulate it. I like to emulate a tzaddik and a Noah. We always have this thing that we want to have a, a hero. We want to emulate. A role model. A role model. We all look for role models subconsciously. Consciously, we always look for role models, right? Which is a problem because most people have a role model. They open up the television, and who's the role model? The one that could hit the ball with a stick better. The one that could give the other guy bash his face bore. You know, they're called boxing. Okay? That's the role models. You know, that's the, what the, they have the dress and everything. You know, this is a role model. A year, what's our role model? Our role model is Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. That, but that's our role model. We also look for role models sometimes the wrong way. We also look for role models, let's say a rabbi, role model rabbi, which is sometimes which is sometimes the wrong thing to do. Why? I'll tell you why. Because no one is perfect. No one is perfect. Abraham was perfect. And we'll learn about Abraham later on more, right? Moses was perfect. The Levin was perfect. Well, people are perfect. But when you don't speak about these holy people, you're speaking about regular people, whether he's a rabbi or not, he's not going to be perfect. Now, when you look for a role model, deep down there's a longing, a thirst that people have. I want to emulate someone. I want to have this role model. There's a thirst. So I find this rabbi, oh, he's the one I'm going to emulate. This is, a, this is perfection, right? Then you go along in life and you see he's so perfect. <laughs> he has his failings also. Oh, so what's the next step? Here, here, here's where the problem is. The next step is, oh, forget about him. He's a fake. That's the next step. Why is he a fake? Because I thought he's perfect and I see it. He's a fake. That's wrong. Why is that wrong? You weren't supposed to take a person as a role model in the sense of perfection. What you're supposed to take is learn the good from every, every person. That's what you're supposed to do. Find the good of a person and emulate that. Look at the good of another person, emulate that also. But don't limit yourself, this is him, this is the person, and he's the holy man. No, he's not holy. He's just a regular person like anyone else. He might have certain advantages, and he has disadvantages. So you have to be very careful when it comes to role models. And by the way, this is one of the reasons for anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is because subconsciously the Goyim, the non-Jews, are looking at the Jews for role models. Because they know that God, it says in the Bible, the Bible says that God chose the Jewish nation. So they expect the Jews to act in a certain way. They expect a certain morality from the Jews. And when they see there are some failings amongst the Jews, when they see that Netanyahu is ready to give away Hebron, Hebron, which belongs to us according to the Torah, when they see the failings, they look down at the Jewish people. And this arouses often anti-Semitism and the lack of respect for the Jewish people. What's true amongst non-Jews and Jews is true amongst Jews themselves. Religious Jews, non-religious Jews are looking for religious Jews. And they expect them to be role models. When they find certain religious Jews not acting appropriately, oh, they're a bunch of no goodies. They role model, the same thing is even amongst Orthodox Jews. You look, oh, the rabbi, he must be some holy man. He's not a holy man. He's like anyone else. And if you overdo it, you'll underdo it. Okay? So instead, the right way is you have to look at the good points of people, emulate that, and if you see a failing, don't look at that part. Look at someone else who has, who doesn't have that failing. You always have to look at the good parts of people and emulate that. And that would ha- help in Avas Yisrael a lot. A big part of the problem of lack of Avas Yisrael is when you find a failing by someone else, 
So then you draw a conclusion. This person is terribly zero, negative. It's like either positive or negative. I found a fatal negative. It's wrong. Don't say negative. Say there are problems. Okay, look at the good part. That's what I was just means. Look at the good part and emulate that. But don't look at the bad part and say, oh, it's a zero person. Okay, getting back to our story. The Torah describes Noyach as being a what? He's not just a tzaddik, he's a tummy, he's complete, he's holy. So I want to emulate Noah. Just like I emulate Abraham, I want to emulate Noah. Then I continue learning, and we'll continue learning more about it, and we see he wasn't such a saint as, as, I, would li- as I would believe him to be. So I'm going to emulate him. I'll emulate his faults also. I'll emulate his good parts and his faults because he's a tzaddik anyway. How do I know he's a tzaddik? The Torah gave him a stamp of approval. He's a tzaddik. If he's a tzaddik, I'll emulate him 100%. The Torah has to put a, a pause to this. The Torah says, listen, it's true. I told you he's a tzaddik. True. But you should know that it's relative. Which word in the verse tells us that it's relative? In his generation, he was a tzaddik. Right. Relative to generation, he was a tzaddik. But don't think he's the super tzaddik. So when you emulate him, don't emulate him 100%. You know, do it in, within a certain criteria. Take him in the... Take him... Take
Oh, you're a little bit of a 